Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. How wonderful it is to see you once again at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today a very interesting item. If you'll follow me over here to the bookcase of haunted stories, forgotten tomes, and lost manuscripts, this book here is a very large volume, and if you flip through its pages, you'll see various incantations and all manner of spells. If we look here at this page, this page has what appears to be a particular summoning spell, but as we turn the page, you'll find this is no summoning spell at all. And therein lies the lifeblood of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Shudder original, The Sacrifice Game. So it is the holiday season, and it's that time of year when we start to get some offerings from genre that tie into the holiday season. Of course, Halloween is probably the most, uh, gets the most play out of especially horror and, and, and maybe leaning into a little bit of uh, science fiction and and. Not not so much fantasy. I mean, depending on your depiction of fantasy. Uh, if you're talking Lord of the Rings fantasy, uh, not so much. But uh, other various forms of fantasy. Halloween gets some play in there. Uh, Thanksgiving, we finally got a really good offering for Thanksgiving horror uh, this year. But generally, Thanksgiving doesn't get too much play. But Christmas always gets some some really good stories from genre. And mainly horror stories. And, and it all ties back to that old... Uh, tradition around Christmas, around the, the Yuletide of telling ghost stories. And I think other than Halloween, Christmas probably is the best time for a scary story. And we'll kind of dive into that a little bit on our Christmas special this year. But uh, we haven't been inundated with Christmas horror this year. Not like in years past. I, I think maybe COVID played a part in that. I think so many people had to stop production or stop work on their films because of COVID. And then over the past couple years, 2021, 2022, we just had a backlog of horror movies in general, genre movies in general, movies in general that... Everyone's just trying to put all their stuff out at once. And, and now things have kind of leveled out. The waters have leveled out. And like I said, we didn't get a ton of holiday horror or fantasy or science fiction this year. And, and again, horror gets all the play. Fantasy and science fiction feel more like afterthoughts, especially when it comes to holiday adaptations of these genres. But I must say that some of the entries into holiday horror or holiday genre have been quite good this year. Like I said, Thanksgiving was one. We had some really good movies at Halloween. And Christmas is no different. We've got some movies uh, that have come out, movies that are still to come out, that uh, I I've enjoyed quite a bit and I'm looking forward to watching. We've got uh, a movie coming out 
I believe it's it's been out in theaters. Came out on the eighth. A creature was stirring. The uh, Chrissy Metz movie. Scout Taylor Compton is in it as well. Uh, that's going to be released to video on demand on the twelfth. So uh, if if you're listening to this on the day it's released on Monday the eleventh, uh, that should be coming out on video on demand tomorrow. I'm hoping to get it watched in time to do it for Thursday's show. If not, we'll do it uh, next Monday's show. I'm looking forward to that. I have not seen it yet, so uh, I'm hoping that's a really good holiday horror movie but uh, i watched one this past weekend on shutter the sacrifice game and and if you look at the the title in and of itself it doesn't really seem it doesn't scream Christmas horror movie, but this definitely is a Christmas horror movie. It takes place during the holidays. Uh, There's no killer Santa, which seems to be the way to go with holiday horror anymore. Uh, Again, something we'll talk about on our Christmas special coming up uh, on the episode uh, before Christmas. But this definitely plays into the holidays, definitely plays into Christmas, and it is a really interesting idea. It's from writer-director Jen Wexler. She directed this. She also wrote it along with Sean Redlitz. And it was an interesting story. It kind of took Christmas, mixed it with a home invasion story that had a bit of a a demonic vibe to it. And while I can't say they reinvented the wheel with this by any stretch, uh, it, it was an interesting idea and not something you see a terrible great amount of stories like this so uh, well like I said it's probably not reinventing the wheel in any way it definitely is doing something different when it comes to holiday horror and it also had a really enjoyable cast you had uh Mina Masood who plays the Jude character he was uh, Aladdin in the Disney live action remake of Aladdin a movie I had not watched because Honestly, I'm just not a huge Will Smith fan. Uh, It's a movie I'll eventually watch because I enjoyed the animated original and I was really interested to see how this played out. But I I think Will Smith made me think, I I just don't care if I see it right away. But but now that I've seen Mina Masood, uh, his performance, in this, I really want to see him as Aladdin. Uh, So I'm I'm interested in that. You have uh, Olivia Scott Welch who plays Maisie. Uh, Of course, she was in the Fear Street movies on Netflix. Uh, She played the Sam character. Not a film series I was really thrilled about. Uh, The second one, 1978, was probably the best of them uh, because it kind of played into almost like a slasher film which I, I really enjoyed that, but uh, but the part one and part three, it just didn't really care for. But she's in this, does a really good job. Chloe Levine, who has worked with uh, Jen Wexler before, and she has a look about her. She hasn't been anything in anything that I'm terribly familiar with, but she just looks very familiar. She has a very unique look uh, and distinctive look about her. Gus Kenworthy is actually a silver medal Olympic skier, uh, plays Jimmy, the boyfriend of the Chloe Levine character, Rose. You have Derek Johns as Grant and Laurent Petra as Doug, who uh, uh, are are really good. Uh, Especially the Laurent Petra character uh, does a fantastic job. Then you have two young actresses, Madison Baines as Samantha and Georgia Aiken as Clara, 
who uh, I'm not familiar with either one of them. They both have very familiar looks about them, but I, I've, I've never seen anything that they've been, been in. Uh, and neither one of them have been in a, a ton of things, but I expect that will probably change soon because both these young actresses did a really good job. So the cast of this movie, I, I thought was really good. It was really solid. Uh, you got some really good performances. There, there were some moments that were a little iffy, but, but for the most part, all in all, I really enjoyed all the performances. And while I don't want to get too spoilery right now, we will get into some spoilers and really dive into this movie. But right now, I want to keep things as spoiler-free as possible uh, so I don't ruin it for anyone who does still want to see this movie and hasn't quite yet. But for my money, I really enjoyed this movie. It really was a tale of two families. And I think that was a big theme of this movie is family and the family you choose, the family you make. And it really was interesting how they filmed both sets of people. You had the Jude and Maisie character uh, along with Doug and Grant as this, uh, and, and this isn't a spoiler because you get this right away, uh, kind of a Manson family-esque vibe to them that's very chaotic and everything is shot very vibrantly with them and, and, and kind of helter-skelter, steady cams and whatnot. And then you have this other family, Rose and Jimmy, along with Samantha and Clara, who are at this school over the Christmas break because uh, they don't have anywhere else to go. Everyone is gone. So they've kind of made this makeshift family unit and they're at this school and everything is very very drab almost and cold and it, it it has a sense of loneliness about it listening to some interviews with Jen Wexler all of these characters are suffering from some form of loneliness or another whether it is uh, Rose and Jimmy who are just kind of stuck there and they want to get away to to a big city where they have places to go and things to do and their their relationship can thrive you have Samantha whose uh, stepfather doesn't want her home for Christmas because he's off gallivanting you have Clara who's this loner who doesn't uh, have anybody she doesn't have anybody to go home to and they they're all alone yet they they form this almost makeshift family unit which is is very touching and, and really plays on the emotion you have the the jude and Maisie grant and doug character uh, they're lonely in in different ways and i think jen wexler kind of put it best in an interview uh one of the interviews i saw she talked about how they're lonely in a sense of is there anything else out there uh, in the universe and they're they're searching for that kind of sense that they're not alone in this world that they're not alone in the universe all of the guys have a bit of a loneliness that they all want to have filled by the Maisie character and because of this loneliness they've created this almost makeshift family family unit uh granted like I said it's very Manson family-esque sort of family unit but a family unit all the same and when these two families collide uh you, you got the warm and hot and visceral family you've got the the cold and lonely uh almost a melancholy family cold colors they clash uh, that clash of hot and cold and the explosion that happens therein. Again, I'll, I'll kind of 
go into a little more detail once we get into the spoiler section. But it really is a, a good idea, a good movie. I think it does bog down a little bit in the third act. I think you get some moments that are told very well story-wise. You get some things that you don't understand the reasoning for it. It just is. Some components of what the Jude and Maisie group are, are doing. You don't get any explanation as to what it means or why they're doing it. It just is. And I think that's that's good. You don't have to have everything explained. There's things that, you know, there are things beyond the ken of mortal men that, that cannot be explained and probably shouldn't be tampered with, as uh, Barney Fife once said. But, but then there are other things that felt a little too explained. And then there are other aspects that maybe aren't explained well enough. And I think because of that lack of focus on how to really tell the supernatural aspect of the story, or at least make sense of it for the for the viewer, I think that's where things got bogged down a little bit, uh, especially in that third act, kind of where the second act meets the third act. But other than that, there are some really chilling moments. There are some really kind of shocking moments. Uh, things that happened that I did not think were going to happen. There's a, a good amount of gore, but it wasn't over-the-top gore. Uh, there's a good amount of, of blood and bloodshed. And like I said, outside of that, that little bit of time there in that uh, third act... Uh, the movie moved along pretty well. I mean, pacing-wise, this movie kind of gets where it needs to go in in short order. The movie's only an hour and a half long, but other than that one little section of the movie that, that felt like it drug out a little bit, it, it never felt... It, you never felt the weight of how long the runtime was. It, it really did feel like everything moved along at a pretty good clip, which uh, you know makes for an enjoyable watch. If if I'm not sitting there looking at my my watch, or if I'm not sitting there looking at my phone because I'm bored, uh, that that's usually a pretty good sign. So that's all I'm gonna say about this before we get into some spoilers. So if you haven't watched the Sacrifice Game, it really is an excellent holiday movie. Uh, it is set during the Christmas break at Christmas time. It's set on, you know, Christmas Eve going into Christmas Day, and that plays a big part. You never really understand why, but you don't have to understand why. If you like a good mystery, this has a good mystery that I can't say that I didn't see it 100% coming, but it wasn't until later that I'm like, oh, okay. I see where this is going, and it's one of those movies where you see things coming right before the reveal, which I, which I like that. I don't like seeing things coming a mile away. I, I do like to feel like I'm a little bit ahead of, of the characters on the screen, and they do that well, and I think that's a, a good part in the writing and directing of this movie from Jen Wexler and Sean Redlitz from a writing standpoint. So if you haven't watched The Sacrifice Game, make it a part of your holiday horror viewing, and go check it out on Shudder right now. Uh, if you haven't watched it, uh, go check that out. Come back and listen to my thoughts on The Sacrifice Game. If you have watched it and want to hear what my thoughts are, or if you you haven't watched it and you don't know if you're going to watch it, you don't have Shudder, you should get Shudder if you're a horror fan. Not to sound like I'm shilling for them, but go check it out because it, it is excellent. But uh, if you just want to hear what all the fuss is about, if you can say there's a fuss about this movie, and uh, you're interested to hear what it's about before you even give it a shot, uh, then hey, come on on. The more the merrier. We're going to go and head into some spoiler territory. So uh, from here on out, there are going to be spoilers. So this movie has a really great open to it. Of course, it's set in 1971. I think 
we actually start two years before that. I, I think that first scene is set two years prior. Uh, but you have this scene with this Manson family-esque family with Jude and Maisie, Derek and Doug, and it starts out as a home invasion. And that's what this movie really is. It's a home invasion movie uh, set at the holidays and set with some demonic horror around it. But we get a home invasion right off the bat. This group is going into this home. And the first thing I see is, uh, you know, Maisie painting blood on the windows and people being, it almost looks like being sacrificed. You're not sure what's going on, but people are dying. Somebody's sprawled out on a table getting uh, stabbed or, or something's going on. You really don't know, but you know it's not good. You know it does have a, a cult-like feel to it. Uh, like I said, very Manson family-esque. The painting of of symbols and things on the walls and windows and blood felt very much like what happened with the the Manson family and the whole of Sharon Tate back in 1969 which if this is two years prior to 1971 where the film takes place that would have put it in 1969 of course uh the Tate murder was in August of that year but this is in looks probably more like December more around Christmas time of, of 69 so you can see some parallels where uh, Wexler was going with this and I really appreciate it I think it added a sense of not reality but something based in a reality that we know and I like that I, I like how it's not rewriting history but it's basing things on a history that we're well aware of in, in popular culture but that first scene it's it's very much indicative of how she films this group of characters it's and and listening to her talk about this it was all like steady cams everything is very vibrant and hot and and you know a lot of bright colors and and, and things felt very chaotic and anarchic and you really get that with that first scene and i know some people i've i've seen some criticisms where I feel like oh well if they could have kept that vibe throughout the movie it would have been a better movie but you really have to do look at this as two different not two different films but two different styles for each group you have this this Manson family type entity with Jude Maisie Doug and Grant and it is all chaotic and it is all steady cams and it is all hot vibrant colors and then of course you get to the school the boarding school where our other characters are Rose Jimmy Samantha and Clara and everything is very cold and haunted and there's a, a bit of a melancholic vibe to it because you have this group of characters you have rose and jimmy who uh, they just feel kind of stuck in this nowhere town they're trying to build a relationship they're trying to build a family you see jimmy has a ring he's going to propose to rose and uh, they just want to get out of this town you have samantha who her mother died. Her stepfather doesn't want her around and has kind of abandoned her at the school for Christmas. You have the Clara character who's kind of this quiet girl, outcast, doesn't have any friends. Uh, Samantha is the new girl, so both of them kind of have a an outcast vibe about them. And they're stuck here with Rose and Jimmy over the holidays, over the Christmas break. And you have that feel of loneliness about this school and about these characters and about this scene. And that's why everything is very cool colors, very 
not drab, but it is very much uh, almost like a blue filter on things just to, to make it feel colder and to make it feel more lonely. All the filming is done on dollies and it's very smooth movements. It's not the chaos of the other group. It's, it's very cold and calculated, so to speak. And then these two groups clash. And I thought it was really interesting. Some of the interviews I saw with Jen Wexler, where she's talking about once this cult group makes their way into the school, it is a slow descent into hell. And you start seeing more fire lighting make its appearance with candles and the fireplace. And things get brighter and hotter. And like I said, a lot of fire elements put into play from a lighting standpoint, which I, I thought was really interesting. And, and it, it played into the the demon aspects of this story. Now, one of the things I thought was really good about this movie is the fact that they didn't shy away from the kills. I, none of the kills were terribly inventive, but this isn't a slasher film. This is, uh, like I said, it, it's almost like that cult-like group uh, going around. But you had a lot of various ways that they dispatched of people when you had the home invasion at the beginning of the movie it was very sacrificial in what they were doing they come across the priest and they cut that piece of skin he almost has like this weird birthmark on his the side of his stomach and they cut that off before like snapping his neck uh the police officer he gets tire iron to the back of the head uh, i believe and then shot if i'm not mistaken but the two most disturbing and unexpected kills were the and we're in spoiler territory, so if you've gotten this far and you didn't want this spoiled for you, you should have turned back a long time ago. But Jimmy and Rose, I thought these two characters, you know, it's a Christmas movie. Even though it's Christmas horror, you expect there to be some sort of, you know, survivor. And I almost expected this to maybe have a bit of a happy ending. And it did to a degree, but not to the degree with which I thought it was going to be a happy ending. Uh, when they're at that dinner table scene and it, it, it almost felt like a perversion of the holiday family dinner where Jimmy, it, it's divulged that he's going to propose to Rose and the Jude character is making him propose to her in the middle of this home invasion hostage situation. And Jimmy fights back and ends up getting his throat slit. I, I was like, oh my God, I, I thought there was a possibility he was going to die, but you know, I, I didn't I didn't see that coming, at least not at that moment. Rose, on the other hand, I thought, okay, she and the girls are going to survive this. She's going to be our de facto final girl, if you want to relate it to slasher movies. But then when they start this ritual where they've got blood painted in circles on the floor with all these sigils, and she gets stabbed in the chest and dies, I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> I did not expect her to die. It was quite shocking, to be quite honest. And then, of course, when you have the reverse of that dinner scene at the end, where you have uh, Clara's True Colors show through, and you have all of these quote-unquote bad guys tied up at the table, and uh, they have to kill themselves. Doug getting his fingers cut off before he dies. Jude getting killed. Uh, Grant killing himself. That's kind of where it got into the weird weirdness of, okay, I, what what the hell's going on? And we'll, we'll dive into that here shortly. I'm 
want to stick kind of more with kills right now. But then you have that scene where Samantha comes back after uh, Clara has rescued her and sent her off to, to, to just get away from there. You have Samantha coming back and Maisie is the only one that's left. And you have that scene where you think, okay, Samantha is going to save the day, not by killing Maisie, but by killing Clara. And then she, you turn around and she ends up killing Maisie, completing the second part of this ritual. Like I said, we'll get into that, the demonic aspect of that here uh, shortly. But as far as the final kill of this movie, it was probably shouldn't have been as shocking as it was. Maybe it should have been a little more expected than it was. It certainly was a possibility. It wasn't like it wasn't on my mind, but I thought, oh, okay, this is still going to have a happy ending. The demon's not going to win. But I think that is the... the I don't want to say brilliance of this movie, but I think it is one of the things that makes this movie enjoyable is the fact that it deviates from where you are expecting things to go. You expect the happy ending for Rose and Jimmy. That doesn't happen. Jimmy gets killed. Uh, you expect Rose to survive this whole ordeal, to be kind of your heroine, to be your final girl. And that doesn't happen. She gets killed. You expect one of the main antagonists in this home invasion to be possessed by the demon. Uh, mainly Jude. He's the one that wants it. He's the one that I, I think is spearheading this. And that doesn't happen. The demon was there all along. It was Clara. You expect this to be a demon summoning spell, and it's not. It's a demon releasing spell because Clara was the demon the whole time. It subverts your expectations just enough. It leads you down this uh, this path, making you think you're going to go one way, and then at the last second deviates. And and they do it well. I mean, it's not like I said. It's not like you didn't see it possibly coming. Uh, but you're kind of led to believe that things are going to turn out a certain way. And whether that's your own hang-up, whether that is your own expectations based on other movies, uh, I, I don't know. I think that's up for debate. But they lead the way to the light at the end of the tunnel, and before you get there, we're darting down another tunnel, back into the darkness, which I completely enjoyed. That was a ride that I really enjoyed uh, taking with this with this director and with this story and with this cast. So one of the things uh, I also really liked about this movie was the demonic element of this. You had this school which was I don't remember if it was ever a monastery in the movie, but it's actually a place called Oka Abbey in Quebec, Canada, where they filmed this school. It used to be a monastery, and they loved the location and decided to use this as the, the school in the movie. But in the basement of the school are all the books, uh, according to Claire, all the books that the teachers don't want them to read. And it's revealed that Clara has discovered this old spell book of sorts. And she's caught by Samantha pouring over the, the pages of the spell book. And then, of course, you get the reveal that Maisie used to go to that school and she had torn one of the pages out of this spell book, thinking she had a demon summoning spell. And they've been going through this group of Jude, Maisie, Doug, and Grant. They've been going through these actions to get all these components to 
release this demon and this demon is supposed to grant them a wish and i love how clara at one point probably the point where you're starting to think there's something up with clara uh she's either just messing with them as a distraction or a manipulation as a hostage in this home invasion story or there's something more to the character but she's she starts asking him so you're granted a wish like this demon's a genie and it played really well, I thought, on the screen. But Jude wants power. Doug wants Maisie. Grant is a Vietnam vet and very much suffering from PTSD. It's never, I don't think, revealed what he exactly wants. It's alluded to the fact that he wants Maisie as well, even though Maisie and Jude are together. Uh, Maisie, I don't ever think we really get what she wants out of this whole granting wishes from demons but they're finding these people with these birthmarks with these sigils and and cutting off the skin sacrificing them and collecting their blood all for this ritual that's supposed to take place uh at midnight on on christmas day and i liked the reveal i mean this this page that Maisie took out of this book talks about the sacrifice of the innocent and it's alluded that it's probably going to be one of the girls samantha or clara but it ends up being rose but the revelation that this isn't a demon summoning spell this is a demon releasing spell and that when Maisie finds the book she finds that there was a, another part to this spell that she didn't steal that page and that there's also a sacrifice of the blood of the guilty the blood of the innocent the blood of the guilty this is what releases the demon from its captivity hence why all our antagonists have to die at the end of the movie. But I thought it was a really good reveal about the Clara character. I think finding out that she has been a demon this whole time, trapped in this school. I like how they played into Maisie thinking she recognizes Clara when they first come to the school. When she asks, do you have an older sister? It didn't really stick out at the time. It probably should have. In hindsight, it definitely should have. But then her realizing that on all these old class pictures, uh, the Clara characters in all of them, maybe different hairstyles, uh, different looks, but she is in every class picture from every year for yeah, who knows how long? Decades even. Now, that's one of the first things I saw. Well, why did nobody recognize her year after year after year for who knows how long? I mean, she must have been there for, like I said, decades. Then Clara has that one line about how a simple spell hazes every everyone's mind so they don't recognize her year after year. I'm like, okay, I I'll buy that. Demonic spell chicanery, that that's that makes sense. That's a simple enough answer to something that probably could have been a little more complicated. I think where things did get complicated with this aspect of the story, uh, one, that little dance scene with Clara, it, it very much felt... Uh, it felt awkward, much like the dance scene in Megan, which is kind of funny because uh, the Blood Brothers did a lot of the special effects in this movie, uh, anything that did with, deal, dealt with blood, but uh, they also brought in Adrian Moreau, who worked on Megan. He did a lot of the prosthetics 
for this movie. And it's kind of funny how he worked with Megan and he worked on this. I don't I I don't remember seeing his name in the credits, but I know Jim Wexler has talked about him being a part of this movie. But kind of funny how both those movies had a creepy kid dance scene. But that kind of slowed things down a little bit in this movie. And that scene at the end, kind of the bookend scene where you had the two family dinners, that second one where all of our bad guys, all of our antagonists are, are tied up. And that got a little weird and confusing at some points it made it seem like the clara character made it seem like they had to kill themselves but then the characters were killed by each other you know some killed themselves others killed another person Uh, samantha ended up killing Maisie. so i think that's where it kind of got a little confusing as to how the spell works or how the sacrifice is supposed to go and like i said the explanation of it all got a little a little bogged down in itself but i thought you had a lot of really good standout performances in this that that made up for any moments where things got a little bogged down in itself and in the explanation of things i i thought mina masood did a really good job as jude he was very over the top kind of flamboyant uh bad guy it, it he felt very much like a cult leader he had that charisma of a cult leader the Maisie character olivia scott welch i thought she did a really good job she plays this kind of cool chick that all the guys want to be with where jude is the charisma and the leader and the the guy that rallies the troops she's the real brains behind the operation the grant character you don't get to know very well you don't really get uh, many lines out of him and his character did seem one of the more interesting like i said he's a He's a Vietnam vet who's come back and and dealing with PTSD. That was interesting. I I almost wish they could have delved into that a little more. The Doug character, played by Laurent Pitre, he did uh, an awesome job with this because he provided a bit of comic relief and not in the typical comic relief way. Uh, From what I understand, he did a lot of ad-libbing. Jen Wexler uh, liked to film things as it was in the script, and then she would film things again with uh, him just kind of riffing and and saying things the way he would. And it added a lot of humor to it without being over-the-top jokes. Other than uh, Mina Masood, he was one of the characters that really popped on the screen. I really enjoyed uh, Madison Baines as Samantha. I thought she had a really good... She really portrayed a sad innocence that I thought really came across very well with this character. It really fit this character. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her and more things as as she grows as an actress. I thought she did an excellent job with this character. Uh, Georgia Akin, uh, who plays Claire, I thought she did a really good job. She played that quiet loner but then when she starts to open up you see there's a a charisma that it felt a little awkward uh but then once you put it in perspective that she is a demon hiding in this child's body uh for for god knows how long and there is that demonic seducer quality about her uh that she keeps hidden the quiet, introspective 
child that you see is the mask that this demon wears. And so the scenes where she's, it feels a little more charismatic than you would think she would be, it makes sense when you put it into context. There were scenes, especially towards the end, where she dresses up in that black ball gown looking thing. It was, that was a little awkward, but hey, you know, it. you gotta, you gotta show she's a demon somehow. Uh, I wish she could have given across a little more menace. Uh, I was looking for a little more menace from the character, but it's still having this, this innocent voice of a child spouting all these things that are from the depths of hell. Uh, it, it still had a chilling feel to it. And not to leave out uh, Chloe Levine or Gus Kenworthy uh, as Rose and Jimmy. I thought they both did a really good job. It's a shame that those characters didn't uh, live too long, but but I really enjoyed both of their performances as well. Not standout performances, but good performances. I think all the actors did a really good job. I, I thought the script was done well. I, I believed a lot of the dialogue. There were a couple moments where some of the dialogue was a little uh, corny, uh, but for the most part, I thought that you know all the dialogue felt very natural. I thought the storytelling was very interesting. Like I said, it did get a little bogged down in itself and felt like maybe uh, they weren't sure exactly how to explain how things are, are happening or what's supposed to be happening. But but for the most part, it was an interesting story. And I think what they did well is not explaining too much. There were things like these uh, birthmarks on these people that you don't even really understand why they're there. They're just there. And that they had to collect those uh, as a flesh puzzle, as they put it, to complete this ritual. You don't understand why. You don't understand why a person would have one of these birthmarks. It just is. And I liked that. I really wish they would have done that with the sacrifice of the blood of the guilty, because I think they tried to explain that too much. And that's where it kind of got bogged down in itself. If it was just because, because they have to, because, and, and it doesn't matter who kills who, just as long as the blood of the guilty is spilt in this sacrifice, that's all you need to know. I, I think I probably would have enjoyed a little less exposition on that, and I think that would have worked a little better. And I really liked the themes of this movie, the theme of loneliness, the theme of creating a family of your own out of that loneliness I thought was was really interesting and how it can be destructive or how it can be empowering a little bit when you have uh, the gift scene where our bad guys for lack of a better term this cult group are giving out the gifts to Samantha and Clara from Rose uh, she didn't know them she barely knew them but she gave them something because uh, you know they, uh, they were her family and they were under her care and and the sweetness of it and, and especially the look on Clara's face when this woman who who she barely knew, who barely knew her, is giving her this book that she feels that is going to make a difference in her life. And, and it's kind of funny because it's a travel guide uh, to the world and and that's what Clara wants. She wants this spell to be broken so she can leave the school and travel the world and it feel that that look on her face like this woman gets me but she doesn't get me <laughs> and that was that was a real nice moment in this movie and then that moment at the end where Samantha knows that Clara's the demon she knows that she could stop Clara and let Maisie go and stop this ritual but Clara and her have become friends Clara saved her, allowed her to escape. You know, for all Samantha knew, she sacrificed herself so she could live. 
and she came back to save her friend and that friendship meant something to her even if it was with a demon and her going jack torrance at least the stanley kubrick jack torrance and axing Maisie in the back and and completing the sacrifice so Claire could leave this prison of this school and that moment at the end where uh so i suppose you're gonna leave and claire's like yes but you could come with me and and there again it is the continuation of that theme of the family that you make the family that you choose to be with and i like how it's open-ended enough that you know these two are going to go off and have adventures and see the world who knows what sort of demonic uh, shenanigans they're going to get into what sort of evil is going to happen because of this but it leaves it open-ended enough that you're like where does this story go next doesn't mean there's going to be a sequel doesn't mean there should be a sequel but i like how it opened the movie with a bit of the story that you're plopped right down in the middle of and it ends with a story that is going to keep continuing long after the credits have ended. I kind of talked about it earlier. I also thought the filming of this was quite good. I, I really enjoyed the cinematography of this. Alexander Boussier, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, the cinematographer on this did a really good job with, like I said, the, the hot and visceral filming of the cult family and the handheld stuff and just the franticness of that the cold calculation of the dolly movements on the the family at the school i just thought it was a really nice juxtaposition of two different viewpoints and then the collision of those where you have the descent into hell and the fireplace and the candles and and all that fire hot firelight was i thought done really well and this being a period piece this is set in 1971 and i thought they did a really good job of making it feel like 71 but also making it feel a little bit timeless I mean, you get notes and nods to the fact that it is 1971, the news broadcast that I believe Samantha is watching uh, early in the film looks very much a black and white television. It looks very much of the 70s. A lot of the dress and the costumes felt very much the 70s, but it didn't look over the top 70s. It didn't look like a caricature of the 70s, which I appreciated that. You get so many period pieces where it feels like the costuming and the set design all feel like a caricature of what somebody thinks things look like in the 70s. And this, I thought it was subtly enough of the 70s, but also not being a caricature, not being over the top 1971, it did have a, a feel that at some point you kind of forgot it was set in 71 and you're just watching the story just enjoying the story and and being in the moment which i enjoyed as well and speaking of the set design i thought it was really good uh, there was one interesting point uh that i heard in an interview with jen wexler where they didn't have a fireplace in this oka abbey and the props people and the set design people had to create a fireplace, uh, make a working fireplace. You can tell it was obviously uh, gas lit, but they had to create that fireplace in this abbey, which I thought they did a really good job on. I, I You couldn't have told me otherwise that that fireplace wasn't there and a part of this structure of this building. I thought that was good. I thought the effects were all pretty good. There was a little bit of CG in there but it wasn't horrible cg it was used sparingly it was also used quickly you didn't linger on it so you could see all the cgness about it but 
For the most part, I think they used a lot of practical effects, and that was where I think this movie shined. I think it's where a lot of lower-budget horror films shine is when they... I know CG's probably a little cheaper, but you can do practical effects on the cheap as well, and they look so much better than CG, especially when they're done right, when they're done by somebody that knows what they're doing. And and I thought the practical effects in this were done really well and was enjoyable to see some practical effects going on. I thought the uh, score was really good. Uh, Mario Sevigny, excellent. The the score to this movie didn't feel over the top. It had that kind of sense of loneliness and melancholy about it. It, it really added to the emotion of the scenes. I thought uh, I enjoyed that. I know some people felt that the music was a little too leading into how I'm supposed to feel, but at least that main theme, uh, that main theme I really loved that score in this movie. And all in all, I thought this movie was pretty good. Uh, Like I said, it's not a great film. It's not a film that changes the game or has reinvented how holiday horror movies are done. But this was an interesting idea. It was a different idea for a holiday horror film. It had all the elements of Christmas, but also didn't shy away from the demonic aspect of this and tying it in there again it's another instance where this had to happen on christmas eve going into christmas day at midnight the execution of this ritual there's no reason why and you don't have to you don't have to know why sometimes things need to be explained some things are better left unexplained and i think this is one of those instances where i think when they explained less the story worked better it left the mind to wonder and left you wondering where this is going now the one thing i will say about this there wasn't a ton of scares in this and i don't think it needed to have a ton of scares i don't think this needed to be full of uh, jump scares I, i think where the horror in this movie works is the shock value where you think things are going one way and it turns out it's going a different way. I think the creepiness and the atmosphere, I think, are where you get a lot of the horror in this. You do to get a couple little jump scares. There's this one scene where we get, I think, a glimpse of the demon in its true form. You get a little bit of a jump scare there and the, the makeup work on that was really creepy. Uh, but, but yeah, I think for the most part, the horror in this, the scariness of this all come from the atmosphere and the the creepiness of the situation that we find ourselves in. And when you're dealing with demonic forces, you don't have to show too much for it to be really creepy and scary. The allusion to all these demonic forces and what they could entail play into a lot of the creepiness that you're going to feel and the unease that you're going to feel throughout this movie. But as I said, ultimately, not a bad movie. It was a pretty good movie. Uh, like I said, I wish the name of the the movie the sacrifice game uh, it didn't really feel like a game there was sacrifice it doesn't play into the holiday and I, I mean i i know you don't want it to be like some hokey turn of phrase from you know playing off a 
holiday saying or a holiday theme, you know, kind of like the last movie we talked about, It's a Wonderful Knife. You don't want it to sound like that because then that's going to sound like cheesy parody. But I do wish they could have made the name of the movie a, tie a little more into the holidays so you know this is a, a Christmas horror film. I don't know what that name should be, but that's one of the things that I wish they could have uh, let you know people know a little more when they see Sacrifice Game come up that this is going to be a holiday horror film because I know, like me, I'm looking for holiday horror films to watch this time of year. I wish I could find more holiday fantasy and science fiction films to watch this year, but there just aren't a ton of those out there. But holiday horror, I want to know if something is a holiday horror film because that's that's the kind of stuff I want to watch this year. I want to watch holiday genre. And unless you read the synopsis of the movie, you really don't know that it is set at Christmas time. But there again, that's just a nitpick. Uh, that's just uh, that's just a marketing thing that I wish, you know, but what do I know? But as I said, all in all, I thought this was a pretty good movie and an enjoyable watch for the holiday season. If you're if you're into horror fantasy or science fiction, this is a, a pretty good holiday horror film. It wasn't your typical holiday horror film fair either. I mean, it seems like every year we get a new horror film where somebody's dressed up as a Santa going around killing people. Where that used to be something shocking now has become a trope. And I'll admit, I still like it. I still enjoy those. But this was something a little bit different. And I think that's probably one of the things I enjoyed most about this. So if you haven't watched The Sacrifice Game on Shudder, go check it out. A a very interesting take on holiday horror that I think you're going to enjoy. Probably not going to be a classic that you watch every year. But it's something good to watch this year. Or if you don't watch it this year, watch it next year. It may be something that you watch one time and never watch again. But I think you're going to enjoy the fact that you watched it at least once. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Sacrifice Game. Check it out on Shudder right now. You can find out more about what's going on this holiday season with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Always post about horror, fantasy, and science fiction and the latest episodes that we've got coming out. Of course, uh, just a couple more weeks left in the month of December and then we're heading straight into 2024. It's kind of hard to believe that uh, the year is almost over but we've got uh, a lot of things coming out. Of course uh, like I said I'm not sure if it's going to be on Thursday the 14th or Monday the 18th but we're hopefully going to have an episode on the new uh, Chrissy Metz Scout Taylor Compton uh, movie uh, A Creature Was Stirring. Uh, We're also going to have our Christmas episode, our Christmas special coming up on the 21st that's thursday the 21st we won't have any episode on monday the 25th on christmas day we'll let you enjoy that time with your family and not have to worry about listening to this podcast but we're going to round out 2023 on thursday the 28th with our end of year special and then again on new year's day monday the 1st uh, we will have no episode, but we've got, like I said, we've got the end of year. We've got our Christmas special coming up. We've got a, a couple episodes coming up over the next uh, couple weeks. So lots to talk about horror fantasy and science fiction wise to round out 2023 as we head into 2024. And want to thank everyone. Uh, we'll, we'll do all the thanks, but uh, especially want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. You can check out more on our social media pages. As I said, no matter where you're listening to this podcast, follow, like, subscribe. That way you can stay on top of all the latest episodes of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop and leave those reviews. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever 
whatever review you leave. We appreciate that. And as always, please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!